This is Real Estate Rookie Show Number Three. When actually I've seen the most wealth created. I've I've seen more millionaires and more wealth created during the economic downturn of 2008 timeframe than I have ever. Uh, and a lot of people don't talk about that. They talk about all the losers that lost money. They don't talk about the people that actually took action and actually capitalized on it by being smart and educated and being ready to move. So yeah. care and i'm here with felipe mejia who is out in daytona beach is that correct yeah that's right i'm out here in florida me and my wife decided to just come out here and take a break man there's just so much going on in the world and you know i I recently did two properties at the same time something i typically don't do and you know i've just been real stressed and you know my wife was like let's just get out let's try to get away from everything let's try to really take a breath if you will to to kind of get our thoughts together so yeah we're out here in daytona enjoying a little sun um what about you ashley how are you doing I love the beach view behind you. It's just beautiful for anyone watching. It's actually just a red curtain. <laughs> I hate you, first of all. Look, I had yeah. to do this show because I, I really, I thought it was really important what we're doing today, right? So really excited. But yeah, I'm in my mother-in-law's like a uh, little storage shed or whatever. But actually, how's everything going? Yeah, uh, no, how's everything going up north? Good. Um, school was canceled for my son. He's really excited, but his teacher's been great. We're actually going to do learning through a Facebook group. Cool. So he'll be able to interact with uh, his classmates on there and his teacher, and it'll kind of be a little homeschooling. It's canceled until the end of April. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and speaking of Facebook groups, I just want to give a big shout out to our Rookie Real Estate Facebook group. You know, we have almost a thousand followers on there. And, you know, we're really, like like we said earlier, we really want to build a community of rookies and kind of gather together to make sure that we can get through, you know, everything, upturns and downturns together. So shout out to that. Definitely go in there and leave comments, questions if you have anything that you want to talk about. And, and speaking of, you know, typically this show we do real estate rookie interviews where they have one or two deals or a couple. That way we can kind of connect with each other. But today we actually decided to bring in two professionals, two giants, if you will, who have been through, you know, together. I think they've been through like 30 or 40 years of experience of going through ups and downs and, you know, different ways to do real estate and business. You know, we have uh, today, we have Joe Asamoa and Steve Rosenberg. One, I think, is Ashley's uh, mentor directly. Yes, I tricked Steve into mentoring me. So he's been mentoring me for a couple of weeks and I'm happy to have him and Joe on the show today because what we're doing is we're having them break it down for us. Make How should we prepare, plan, if there is going to be a downturn and they give some really great advice, not only on your real estate investments, if you should get into the market or you know, your personal finances, uh, how to handle that. They give a really great tip at the end. Yeah, I agree. Steve and Joe both give great nuggets. They're professionals in this field. Like I said, they're not rookies. They're professionals who've been through downturns, upturns. They tell you how to strategize for it, how to collectively, you know, have your debt in one place or your cash reserves. You know, they go into the questions that I think as rookies, we all want to know, which is how do I properly prepare for what may or may not come, right? And I think preparation is very important. And both Joe and Steve talk about my Mindset. They talk about money. They talk about planning. I could go on and on and on. The podcast is is, is really going to be amazing. Yeah, for Felipe and myself, we haven't gone through a downturn in the market either as real estate investors. So we found a ton of value in this episode. We hope that you guys too. So let's bring them on. Hey. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome, Steve and Joe, to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. We are very excited to have you guys today and talk about some recession planning. Thanks for having us, Ashley. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. No, thank you so much, guys, for coming out and talking to us. Just some really important topics that are going on right now. And we kind of want to just clear the air for people who have, you know, kind of been through a situation like this and educate some of us newbie rookie guys who are, you know, just trying to walk through this and, and, and figure this all out. If you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves real quick, let's start with Steve, who you are, what you do, if you don't mind there, brother, and then we'll skip over to Joe. Sure. So Steve Rosenberg, I live in uh, Houston, Texas. I owned a property management company. We were at about a thousand properties all over Texas. Recently sold that to a larger company, Mind Property Management, which is in about 16 regions, about uh, close to about 10,000 properties. So I, I work with them now as the VP of investor education. I've owned houses, apartments, single family flips, wholesales, you name it. The way that I got into real estate actually was a prior disaster, which was 9-11. And that's actually what got me into the whole real estate world. Since then, I've done a lot of uh, pivots, I guess you could say, in this industry by having a lot of disasters, whether it was the SARS, the oil, the 2008 recession, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Ike, you name it. And I probably weathered it either as a owner of a management company or as an investor 
of my own assets. Fortunately or unfortunately, disaster is, I'm pretty familiar with it. Man, it sounds like you've definitely been through some things. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Joe? <laughs> okay, well, let's see if I can solve that one, huh? <laughs> Jeez. Okay, uh, I'm going to give it a shot, Steve. Uh, my name is Joseph Asamoah. People call me Dr. Joe. Here, based in the Washington, D.C. area. And I've been investing in real estate for about 32 years now. And I've been through four real estate cycles. And essentially, first house I bought, which is in 87, it was a complete disaster. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I had the tenants from hell. Every scenario that you hate to experience, I went through it. So with that said and done, I somehow weathered that storm and uh, bought another one. I did a house hack, in fact. That was before uh, the house hack term became uh, known. But I did a house hack, bought that house, rented part of the spaces out, kept saving money, bought another one, bought another one. It just kept on going until 2003 when my income from my rental properties equaled what I made for my job. So I was able to leave that job and essentially been in real estate full time uh, since then. So I, I kind of focused primarily on the buy and hold, the subset being the Burr strategy. And so I buy houses, rent, uh, fix them up, you know, rent them out and uh, refinancing, just keep going. So that's what I do. I love this business. Uh, I think the first, talk about cycles, the first cycle I went through was the early 90s. I went through that one. Then there was another one in the mid-90s. Uh, there was another one around 2001, you know, the dot-com boom bust. And then there, obviously there was the 2007, 2008, 2009 downturn. So I've been through four of those cycles. I got a pretty good idea how they play out, how they shake out, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, fortunately, I've been able to survive all those things. And hopefully, I'll be able to share some of my experiences with the audience today. I think it's safe to say that you both have seen a lot of people go broke and a lot of people get rich from this. Is that correct? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, in the cycles that I've been in, as Joe could probably attest, there's a lot of mini cycles that you see as well that probably don't get as much. You know, they may be micro in your city or something, but being a contrarian investor, meaning going in when other people are running away and finding those opportunities, if you're educated and you know what you're doing and what your focus is, that's actually when wealth is accelerated. And that is actually having the education and being ready to move when it's time to move is when actually I've seen the most wealth created. I've, I've seen more millionaires and more wealth created during the economic downturn of 2008 timeframe than I have ever. Uh, and a lot of people don't talk about that. They talk about all the losers that lost money. They don't talk about the people that actually took action and actually capitalized on it by being smart and educated and being ready to move. So, yeah. Well, let me chime in there, Steve. I mean, that, that's an interesting conversation, an interesting topic, because I feel like a lot of our listeners are going to want you to elaborate on that, as in, what does it look like, one, to be a smart investor, and what do you look for in the markets to take advantage of? Obviously, I'm not talking about taking advantage of people, but taking advantage of the situation. So what does that look like for you, Steve? And then, Joe, if you don't mind chiming in after that, what does that look like for you as well? Well, my experience in all this in real estate, and understand real estate's not my first love. It's not the first thing I ever wanted to do. Being an airline pilot was, and 9-11 changed that. But what I've learned about flying planes and being a pilot is that you always have to have your focus and you got to have your end goal. And no matter what happens during the duration of a flight, whether it's an emergency or whatever, you still have to fly the plane and you've got to get to your end destination. And a lot of people lose sight of that because they get all of the emotional fear you know, 70% of what goes through our brain is negative. So they let that negative self-talk derail them from their goal. A lot of times because their why is not strong enough. So they start listening to other people. They start kind of agreeing all of a sudden mentally with what other people are saying, whether it's the news or whatever. And they start derailing their path, thinking maybe this isn't the right path that I'm on. 
And the people that are successful are the ones that know where they're going. They know their financial goal and destination, whether it's amount of cash flow or asset control or whatever that is. And what happens is those are the ones that stay true to their course. Now they may pivot. If you're in a buying market that's flipping, you may have to do a buy and hold or vice versa. But knowing where you're going and having the education, like just all myself, I know how to flip properties. I know how to wholesale properties. I know how to rehab them. I know how to set up structures to have hundreds of thousands of properties under scale. I know how to do all those things. So all those things are in my arsenal as long as it's, it's like in my toolbox, right? So as long as I'm going on my path, when something happens, I just look into my toolbox because I have the education. I go, you know what? I'm going to pick up that tool now because it's no longer a hammer. It's now a saw. And now I have to start cutting. So my point is, is if you're a new investor and you're getting involved in this world, what you need to think about is how do I continue to stay on the path and not let fear and anxiety creep into my head and just know that as Joe can attest, I'm sure these are cycles that they're going to come and they're going to go. And no matter what we say, no matter what we do, we cannot control the outside environment. All we can do is control where we're going and the path that we're on. It's like a river running behind your house. You can't stop that water. You may redirect it, but you can never stop the flow of the water. It's going to keep flowing. And the economies and things like this, like Joe has been through, and, and you guys and everyone else watching, you are going to go through times that you're going to question and you're going to have that self-doubt creeping in as long as you're focused on what you're doing and you have your, the proverbial eye on the prize and you know where you're going, it's data. The numbers dictate. And if you looked at the numbers right now, and if you looked at real estate prices coming down and people not able to sell, that's data that would be telling me, maybe it's time to start buying. Like maybe it just did a pivot and it's time to start going in because the data is telling me information. And, and again, I, I, I'll just go back to flying. When you're flying in the airplane and you're in bad weather, your instruments are what's telling you. It's not what I think I'm doing or my body thinks I'm in a turn. The instruments are telling me I'm going straight. I've got to trust the instruments no matter what is going on in my head. Uh, Joe, do you agree with that or is that? Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Let me add to that. I'm not the first one to go through cycles. Steve's not the first one to go through cycles. I'm not going to be the last person to go through cycles. One of the biggest uh, suggestions and tips I would give to somebody starting is, look, you need to find out in your market successful real estate investors who are doing the strategy that you are doing, who weathered that cycle or cycles prior. What did they do? that differentiated them from all the others. You know, how comes they were successful while others went bankrupt? What did they do? What systems do they have in place? What kind of relationships do they have? What kind of metrics were they measuring? I mean, these are seasoned people. And I'm not just talking about investors who are invested at that time because there were lots of them. You want to find those successful ones, okay? And there's not many, but there are out there whether it be a successful real estate agent, whether it be a successful, a successful wholesaler, a successful rehabber, a successful buy and hold investor, they're out there in your market. You need to seek those people out and find out with, from them what did they do that the others did not do to track these people down, incentivize them to help you, okay? And you learn from their experiences and therefore you'll be able to be successful because when the market changes, you really find out who knows what they're doing and who doesn't, because it's easy to make money when the tide is rising. It's, you know, so you need to seek those people out, work with them, and hopefully you can ride out the storm a lot more efficiently.
That seems to be a, a common mistake that people make is they only focus on the horror stories, the the fails, and not you know go to the successful people who made it through because that's what's emphasized in the media, the news is how people lost homes, how real estate investing failed. And your point is so on is that you should seek out the people who made it through you know, these cycles and get advice from them. And just like Steve said, stay on your own path and stay on your why and go for that outcome. I want to touch base on the coronavirus right now. We don't know what will happen, but we could be leading into another cycle. And I want to talk about what you guys are doing to prepare for this, because that is a very common question for myself, Felipe, and other investors out there is, what should we do to prepare ourselves if you know real estate is going to crash, if the stock market continues to crash? What are you guys doing to prepare yourself for that? Well, I, I can tell you personally what, you know, some of the things that I, again, I take a lot of my knowledge and history from my career being an airline pilot. And one of the things that we're taught that's ingrained in our heads from Boeing and from other people is that when you have a disaster, when you have an emergency going on, the first thing you do is take a breath and just sit down and, and just calm down. That's number one. Number calm two, you have to... Down. Yeah, you just got to calm down. I mean, because... <laughs> I love so that. Much, That's well, there's so, so simple. much hype going on, and there's yeah. so much drama. You lose an engine on takeoff, which is the most critical time when you're flying a, a, a large, any kind of plane, really. The first thing you do is just take a breath, and you fly the plane, okay? You don't pay attention to what anything is telling you. You fly the plane. The same thing I would say relates here. The first thing you got to do is you got to assess the situation and take a breath and step back for a second because this isn't going to be instantaneous. You know, one thing that that Joe had mentioned earlier that I, I would just like to say is that you can learn a lot by looking to see what happened with people that did fail. And if you do that, you can learn what not to do if you look at it from a lesson point of view. When an accident happens, whether it's a car accident or a plane accident or anything, there are 13 things that attribute statistically to that accident. So there's 13 things that happen. Now, let's say a plane crashing, yeah, it hitting the hill was the accident, right? The coronavirus and all these people going bankrupt and losing everything is the result. But there's things that lead up to that crash that caused that to happen. And the same thing, like I said, you were asking how to prepare. It's not one big thing. It's a bunch of little things that I think you have to do, meaning you've got to make sure that your cash reserves are correct. Number one, I would say you've got to make sure that you are looking, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, you're not looking where the puck is, you're looking to where the puck is going. Where is this going and what is the result that's going to happen of this? Am I looking to expand my portfolio and am I looking to make a move as a result of this or am I looking to hunker down and do what I need to do to save what I have? Your cash reserves and your thought process who you hang around with, those things will tell you that. So what I'm doing right now is, you know, this is so, it's like a brand new sprained ankle. It's so fresh. You have to assess the damages before you can start making a move. I think people that are jumping in and making a move without a plan right now, they could be contributing to the disaster. And, you know, you see a lot of people talking and all, uh, you know, it's like Joe had mentioned the dot com. I remember getting in a taxi cab and New York in 2000, and this taxi cab driver was giving me stock advice. And I'm thinking, this is probably <laughs> a bad sign, right? So now, you know, you, exactly. you hear about this coronavirus and everyone's right. an expert. Everyone, yeah. is a, everyone is a biologist. Right. Everyone's telling you all the problems. You know, in Hurricane Harvey, everybody became a power grid expert. Everyone was telling you when the grids were coming on. And <laughs> so you really got to filter through that noise and you got to ask yourself, okay, what, what is going on? 
And what do I want as a result of this situation? Let me chime in here real quick. I keep hearing the same thing from you guys in that this isn't an emotional thing. You know, Steve said, step back and take a breath. Joe earlier was talking a little bit about systems and it seems like nothing out of either one of you have said has had anything to do with emotion. So I love that because I want our listeners to hone in that these two professionals has had nothing about making decisions on emotion or selling on emotion or buying on emotion. Both of them have said that you need to analyze what's going on, structure yourself before you jump in. Uh, Let me just quickly wrap up on the previous question that you had about what am I doing now? Uh, I do a lot of buy and holds. And as a buy and hold, you take a long-term view. You don't get really too caught up in the, you know, what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, because I'm taking a 5, 10, 15, 20-year view of all things. And cycles, especially in certain markets, tend to appreciate, uh, real estate, obviously, tends to appreciate more than others in different markets. So the idea is that, yes, you go through some short-term blips, but the overall trend is up. So what I do What I'm doing, uh, to answer your question specifically, is whenever I buy a house, I make sure that I have multiple exit strategies, okay? So I have a plan A and plan B. So that way, if plan A doesn't work, I can always pivot to plan B. And uh, the problem with a lot of people had in the past is that all they had was a plan A. So if they're buying a house to flip, the numbers didn't support a buy and hold. Or if they're doing a buy and hold, the numbers didn't support a flip, just in case you have to sell it. And uh, so they're kind of locked into one strategy. And when the market shifts, then you don't really have a whole lot of options available. So your numbers uh, do both. You like to have your property be able to do both? Exactly. It has to support at least two strategies, exit strategies. Uh, Otherwise, I'm not buying it. I love that. I've never heard of That's amazing. I've never done that. Because you're setting yourself up. Because when the market shifts, everything changes. I think I cited an example during the last Bigger Pockets interview I had, which was uh, I used to live in a house. We went through a, a downturn in Washington, D.C. in the mid-90s, for example, and uh, it was hard to sell a house. And so people who couldn't sell, they had really two choices. They could either reduce the price, but because they bought high when the market was strong, they couldn't reduce it enough in order to make a profit. So if they had to reduce their price, they made a loss. Okay? Oh. And those people who didn't want to make a loss, they had to rent. Okay, so now the regular buy and hold guys are now competing with flippers who otherwise couldn't sell their properties. They had a better quality product. They had all the bells and whistles that, for instance, a a new uh, renovation would have. So if you had an average product, you're now competing with a, a higher end product with somebody who, under normal circumstances, you would never compete against. So, I mean, the point is that the market shifts, the competition shifts, expectations change, and it's just a whole nother world. That's why, again, going back to the whole thing, there are people out here who've been through this, and they can share with you their experiences through that time, which is how do you find these people? They're out there. I mean, you may have to do a little bit of research. You can go to real estate investor associations. Usually there's people in there who've been around for a long time. A little, another creative way is do some research in your local market for uh, articles, publications, whereby some names come out. Okay. Or if you do your research, if you go to organizations where sort of people who've been around for a while tend to congregate, you can find these people who have been around for a little while, who've been through these cycles before. And it just takes a little bit more research because most people enter a market when the market is going well. Okay. And, you know, they tend to exit when the market turns. But there are a few people out there who tends to ride out these storms for multiple cycles. It just takes a bit more. Uh, research to actually locate these people, but they're out there. And it's it's definitely worth the time to explore 
and to research and find these people because that's a goldmine of information which they can share with you, which will allow you to kind of ride this storm a lot more efficiently. This seems to be a common theme on the episodes we've done so far and the people we've interviewed is go to meetups, <laughs> go to real estate meetups and network and meet those professionals or meet people who can recommend those professionals to you. Um, and you also, you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash events if you want to find a meetup in your area too. There's a lot posted every day. But yeah, I, I really, I really like the uh, advice on how to find a professional, Joe. It's really easy to say, hey guys, just get in the right mindset and and make sure that you, you know, you're not selling or buying, you know, make sure that you're structuring what's going on. But I know that our listeners always ask for a little bit more than that. So what would you tell our listeners, Steve, as to how to get in the right mindset to where like or like the example you said, you know, the puck is where it's going. So how do I get in that mindset versus, oh my gosh, I have to sell everything because we're tanking? You know, I mean, what what do you think? Well, first of all, I think again, you got to look at the facts. And the facts are just out of the gate. When the economy goes bad and people, as sad as it is, when people lose their houses, what happens to them? They don't dissolve and turn into sugar and melt away. They become renters. So if your yeah. strategy is not buy and hold, maybe that's the time that you look and say, you know what, maybe this is going to become a buy and hold because there's more renters in the market. And I'm sure Joe can say the same. When I was in 2008 and the economy tanked, my rents went up. I actually had a higher profit margin because there was more renters in the market that needed a place to rent. Now, I was in the lower to middle of the road. If you're on the higher end of, of rentals, then obviously you may be affected, but you know people either upside or they downside. And so it just depends on where you are and what your strategy is. So to me, you people don't think about that because they're running off of the emotions of what everyone's telling them that the economy's bad. But if you looked at the logic and the logic says, wait a second, these people lose their houses. Hmm, what happens to them now? Well, they become renters. Huh, I wonder whose house they're going to rent. Hmm, I've got to flip. I can't flip it. Maybe I should make a renter out of this property. And maybe it's a short term. Maybe it's a one-year, two-year play. And then I can change again. So that's, again, that's staying on the path of your direction of your goal. But it's also knowing when to pivot and being smart enough to look at everything around you and not having that tunnel vision. You had mentioned about the mindset. That that's a That's a pretty deep cavernous conversation. But you know, I think the biggest challenge a lot of people that have to get into this is they don't sharpen that mental axe before they swing it, meaning they don't take the time to educate themselves to understand that they are running a business. That business is profit, loss, there's laws, there's regulations. There's a lot of things to understand. And if you started running it like a business, there's nowhere in a business that says a couple of things. There's nowhere that says that you're going to run it off of emotions right? There's no emotional gas that's going to help, help that, number one. Number two, there's nothing that says that you're going to do it all yourself. You're going to make all the decisions yourself. You're going to do everything on your own. That is not a business. That's a job. Now, there's nothing wrong with a job, but understand that when you are getting into this and you're trying to scale, probably like most people are, you're running a business. A business is run on the backbone of systems, policies, procedures, and structure. And you say those three again. I want to make sure our listeners don't lose that. So it's policies it's procedures, and it's structure. And you. when you are running your business, that is the definition and the, the, we'll call it the spinal cord of your business. And so again, that is not where emotions come into play. This is where you have to start thinking like the owner of a business. And the other thing I like to add to what Steve was saying about, I do buy and hold. So buy and hold, yes, when the market goes down, you know, there are more renters out there. 
But the success to buy and hold is to minimize turnover, which is to have zero people leaving once they're in your house. Okay, because every time somebody leaves, the house is vacant. You got to clean it up again. You got to advertise again. You got to do all that kind of stuff. So all that cash flow that you otherwise would have made gets wiped out. Okay, and therefore you make no money. Okay, I don't care what anybody says. If you can't manage that turnover and vacancy expenses, you make no money. Okay, so the key is not so much, well, I'm just going to rent my house. No. You got to have certain things in place to be able to attract the kind of people who are going to stay in your house. You're going to attract the kind of people that are going to pay the rent, attract the kind of people that are pleasant to deal with, and attract the people that can stay a long time. Okay, because when the market is in a state of turmoil, it's just ebbs and flow. People are going in, and people are going out. People's financial situation is very sort of uh, fluid. And yes, you've got a renter. But three months from now, they could lose their job, which means that you don't have any income coming in, which means that you may have to evict these people. You have to go through that whole cycle again. So, you know, focus on minimizing turnover, focus on customer satisfaction, focus on making sure your tenants are happy so they don't leave. And therefore, the cash flow that you make stays in your pocket. So it's not just as simple as, well, I'll just rent my house, okay? It's a lot more to it than that. That's what I found anyway. And uh, to be able to ride out this storm for three, four, five years, you know, to when the market turns out. Because buying holes is an excellent strategy during turmoil, but it's not as simple as, well, okay, I've just got a house which I couldn't flip and therefore let me rent it. Okay. Because, uh, you know, and I'm sure Steve can tell you, a tenant from hell which I'm sure he's seen many of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If you guys are watching this video, you got to see Steve's Send face. He just went through 100, <laughs> he just went through 100 <laughs> tenants in his head in yeah, a okay, second. Exactly. A, a tenant from hell is not a pretty sight. I don't care what anybody says, okay, about the duties of buy and hold. All it takes is one tenant from hell. And you can say, I'm done with this thing. I don't care what Steve said. I don't care what Joe said. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think just, just kind of commenting on that, you know, and, and again, this goes back to what I said earlier. I, I am in the, uh, I, I've been educated enough in all of these. And I think what's important, and Joe, you, you said it very eloquently, and I'll, I'll just reiterate, having a buy and hold is a business. Having a flip is a business. These are all yes. separate businesses that you have to treat them as businesses. So if you all of a sudden say, hey, I can't flip this. I think I'm going to go ahead and rent it. I would say, what's the business model? What's the org chart? What are the policies? What are the procedures? You don't just jump in and do it because that's when people fail. And I know because I was one of those people that had you know, right. 30, 40 houses that I had no idea what I was doing. And so you, you've got to have the education. And that's why I'm a big proponent of you know, really educating yourself before you start doing stuff. You know, as entrepreneurs, the biggest reason we fail is not because we're not working hard. It's because we don't have the plan and we don't think things out correctly and we just ready, shoot, aim. And then we go, huh, that house didn't work. Let me fit it into another strategy because you didn't really think about, like to me, the property you buy is the tactic. First, you got to have the goal, then you got to have the strategy, then the tactic. The, the actual asset is the last piece of the puzzle. Most people never even think of creating that business structure. The exit, how, you know, Joe said he's got two exit strategies if he needs them. That's part of his business model. So for me, I could sit there and say, well, I'm going to flip. And okay, if this doesn't flip, I've got the education to pull out the manual and says, okay, now this is a buy and hold. 
what's the strategy for this and start working it through. You don't just start doing it right. haphazardly because as Joe said, that's when you get the bad resident in or you, you know, whatever horror stories happen. Yeah. The thing is, uh, I, I would add to that and say, I see things a little differently. Okay. In the sense that the asset is, is the property, but the real asset, you know, is the tenant. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of, kind of intuitive here. I mean, uh, in this market where we are, for example, we're in the Washington DC area. So it's, it's a high price market. So, you, you know, houses, five, 600, 700,000 is not a big deal. They're all over the place. Okay. So you are entrusting somebody. Okay. To protect your five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar asset, okay, that person can destroy your asset very easily, or they can really make that asset go from five hundred to seven to eight hundred to a million dollars if they stay a long time and take care of it. Okay, so I see the tenant and nurturing that relate. Well, first of all, making sure you find the right tenant, and then nurturing that relationship such that they protect your asset. Nurturing that relationship such that they pay the rent, nurturing that the relationship whereby you create a win-win scenario where it's in their interest, okay, to take care of your interest, okay. So, you know, it's both the the real property asset is important, but I think a lot of buy and hold investors don't realize the importance of the asset being the tenant and protecting and nurturing that relationship so they can protect your real asset. That's interesting, Joe. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like to look at the tenant like a bank looks at you. <laughs> you're, you're nobody to them, exactly. but you're right customer service. Exactly. If I, if, I, if I don't see you, if I don't hear from you, I'm fine. I just thought all I want is my money. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting Joe says that though, because I'm, I think I might be a little bit on the other fence with my 40 plus tenants. I've never met a tenant that cares for my property as much as I do. I don't care how much I sugar them. I don't care how much I see them, buy them, whatever. I, I've never had a tenant take care of my property as much as I do. So I treat even my tenants as a business. I'm going to have to change my mindset then, Joe, and, and I'm going to have no, to learn no. because I've, like I said, I mean, that's just me. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to learn from Joe. I got to read his no, book. <laughs> no, well, yeah, well, no, I mean, see, the screening is the key, okay? Because in most markets, it's easy to get someone in your house. It's a lot more difficult to get them out once they're in. And so how thorough you screen and what type of tenant you're looking for, because there are tenants out there. I mean, you know, I don't want to go through that whole discussion, but I mean, I have five, 10, 15, 20 year tenants. My longest tenant is 23 years. Let me get some of those. (laughs) (laughs) My longest tenant is 23 years on a 15 year mortgage, on a 15 year mortgage. Okay. Think about that one. This tenant is literally paid for this house and they are happy to be there. Okay, they are eternally grateful that I gave them the opportunity to live in this house. I love okay, that. that that is not an accident. Okay, that's what Steve says. It's a system. Okay, it's 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 a business, and realizing okay, if it's a business, and then the people that provide you income are your customers. Okay, i.e., your tenants, <laughs> the people that you don't want to see. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> you got a book. I need to read yours and Steve's at the same time. You know, the mistakes, the book on mistakes, definitely, and then how to keep a tenant 20 years. Well, that's been a common theme in this discussion yeah. so far is okay, looking at the failures and don't be afraid because other people have failed. And that's that means you're not going to jump into it. But learn from them and take those lessons.
Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. And I want to talk about, too, a couple of things that you both kind of mentioned was that maybe a good strategy for a new investor that wants to get started now, even though we might be headed into a, another downturn, is that maybe you find a buy and hold. Maybe it's affordable housing and maybe it's not right next to new development where these flippers might, might not be able to sell these properties. So that could be something you could look into. But I want to go on to uh, a couple questions we have from listeners who actually have sent us in voicemails. We call this the rookie request line. I mean, anyone listening that wants to call in and leave a message, the number is one 5 rookie And you can call in and leave a question and we might play it on an episode. Hello, Ashley and Felipe. My name is Shannon Ludlow from Tampa, Florida. On the way into work this morning, I listened to the Bigger Pockets podcast, episode 250. In it, Grant Cardone talks about the importance of having adequate reserves to weather unexpected events. To your guests, as an investor, how much focus do you give on cash reserves versus lines of credit to help prepare for the future market correction? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, what happens in a down market is essentially credit markets tighten. It's harder to get uh, loans. 
If you do have credit lines, uh, sometimes the bank rein them in, call them due or close them out. Okay, Credit is just more difficult to get. So in preparation for that, yes, you want to have cash reserves. You know, you want to be able to start you know, paying down some debts if you can. You want to even have strategies whereby you can save money. For example, the, you know, the uh, what do you call that thing? The house hack strategy and uh, whereby you can kind of reduce your expenses so you can have some cash reserves. That's number one. If you've got equity in properties, now is the time to, you know, sort of apply for lines of credit and have them available. Okay. Such that when the market does turn, you have access to cash and you're able to take advantage of opportunities that exist, which other people cannot because they don't have the resources available. Joe, do you want to mention real quick what the difference between a line of credit and mortgages and why people should go for a line of credit instead of increasing their mortgage? Good question. Yeah, good one. So the idea is that you buy a house at uh, level A, uh, let's say $100,000, okay? And then over time, uh, that asset increases in value, let's say to what, $150,000, okay? So there's $50,000 worth of equity that is in that house, okay? Sitting there, doing nothing for the most part, okay? So as uh, an investor who foresees the market turning or changing, and while the market is still pretty decent in your area, you can apply for a line of credit. Okay, you can go to a bank and you can tap into that equity, the $50,000 equity as available. So you don't actually get a new mortgage per se. You get a, like, almost like a credit card, access to cash based on the equity in the house. Okay, if you don't use it, it's, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. So it's just sitting there like a credit card. You have a credit limit. As long as you don't use your credit card, you don't pay interest on the money. It's when you use that credit card, that's when you tap into the, uh, that's when you, what's it called, pay interest on that money. That's, a, that's what we call a line of credit, similar to a credit card. Whereas a new loan or a second or refinance, you're getting a, a brand new loan based on the value of the house. I strongly recommend lines of credit because it's there, sitting there, available when opportunities arise, as opposed to getting a a new loan, having money. And we know what happens when you have money sitting around with no good place Mm -hmm. to go. I'm going to use it. And you're already paying interest on it. Yeah. Next thing you know, you know, you don't know where it went. It's disappeared. Uh, Yeah. You got got nice clothes. You got nice cars, you know, and uh, and so on. So as long as you're disciplined, Okay, that's the key thing. I think as savvy investors, we are disciplined uh, because we're looking at the bigger picture. And therefore, I strongly recommend lines of credit and also having savings available for the opportunities that will exist in the new environment. Hi, my name is Glenn from New York. Assuming this pandemic goes on for a while, I've heard that there are states in some countries are suspending rents. So if that's the case, how will you be handling your rents with your tenants and how will it affect you in the long run? Thanks. Uh, well, it's not a rumor. It's true. They are sus- they're actually foregoing eviction proceedings. Some of them, the courts are actually just shutting down and other ones, they're putting moratoriums on there. But it, this kind of dovetails into what the last question was and what Joe was talking about is everybody, you always hear in good times that everybody is so proud of the fact of how le- leveraged and how they've gotten a deal that's 100% no money out of pocket. One of the things I think is important for people to understand is the people that are doing deals with no money down and nothing out of pocket, the successful ones are the people that don't, they have the money, they're just not using their money. So the difference is a lot of people, 
that are getting into this, they don't have the money to get involved into it. So they're looking for a no money down deal. I think that is a huge mistake because they're setting themselves up for disaster when times like this happen because they don't have the proper reserves. I can personally tell you when I had about, I think it was about 35 rental houses and put the wrong tenants in, right? We had a 30% eviction rate. Our average tenants stayed eight months because they would leave. And when they left, they would take a lot of parting gifts with them, like wiring, electrical, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so what I learned at that time, which they don't talk about in the books and they don't talk about the no money down, is that if you don't have the money to replace that stuff, you have just put yourself in a very, very bad position. So you're saying have the money, use other people's money, but if need be, you have that reserve to get you through a situation. Absolutely. And that would be part of your business plan. Exactly. So a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go two months without rent. To me, it's like, okay, well, that is not a sound business plan. And you probably need to rethink your business model. You may have to lose some properties and cut out some cancer of your, of your portfolio because you can't sustain it because you made a bad decision as CEO of your business. And so what you have to do is this is, like I said, just because you can do a deal, no money down, doesn't mean that you do it because that's your only option. That is just part of the tools in your toolbox. And those sleepless nights, like I had, when you're trying to figure (laughs) out how you're going to pay all these mortgages is not a very good feeling that I wouldn't wish upon anyone that you've got to set yourself up for the what if and worst case scenario Like the guy from New York said, man, what if this goes three months? Well, personally, I'm fine if that happens with my portfolio because I pre-planned it. And so that's what's so important about, I keep saying, like, you got to sharpen that mental ax. You really got to think this through in best case scenario, because that's what we all do, right? We always think, what's the best thing that'll happen? I'm going to make tons of cash flow. Tenants are going to stay like Joe for 40 plus years, right? (laughs) That's not reality. Joe's just a super. Yeah, that's not reality. Joe's just got it down to a science. I've never. Yeah, which is is awesome. And and Joe's a perfect example of people you learn from. So you sit there and go, man, I can't get tenants to stay past a year. Let me see what Joe's doing. Let me, let me. Exactly. And so, again, just kind of going back to, to this is all about setting yourself up correctly for. What if best case scenario, but also what if worst case scenario, and can I sustain right. it? I'm going to say something which may, some, many people may not agree with, but I'll say it anyway. And that is people should consider the Section 8 program. The reason why I say that is that it's, it, it, once you figure it out, and it's not that difficult to figure out, most of your income, most of your rent is, uh, is pretty much guaranteed. Okay, So as let's say the rent is $2,000, let's say. And the tenant's portion is $500, okay? And uh, therefore, the the housing authority's portion is the delta, which is $1,500. So as long as that tenant is in your home, okay, you're getting $1,500 a month regardless. And the tenant's portion of the rent is based on their income. So if their income goes down because, for example, they lose their jobs, Okay, then that five hundred dollars that they pay may get reduced from five hundred to two hundred, which means that the housing authority's portion may go from fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred to plug the delta. It can be a very recession resistant strategy. Then the key, obviously, is making sure you get the right tenant. 
who's going to take care of your house, pay your rent, be pleasant to deal with and stay a long time. But again, that all stuff is a business, uh, as Steve keeps on saying. It's true. There's a business model where you can attract these folks who will take care of your house and you can have a situation whereby your income is coming in regardless. And that's the beauty of the Section 8 program versus the market renters, whereby if someone loses their job, then unfortunately you may not get your rent. And if you have a moratorium like they have in New York, you may not get your rent for 90 days at at the minimum. I'm sure, are they going to have a moratorium on Citibank requesting the mortgage payments or is it just the tenants? What do you think? It's just <laughs> yeah. what do you what do you think, Joe? That's a good one. Joe, can I can I just ask something though in, in regards to what you're saying? Because I think this is very, very important that people, especially that may be thinking about Section 8, because I, I did Section 8 for a long time in right. you know, housing authority. A lot of times, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, a lot of times when people go down the path of Section 8, it's their last resort. They're going, I can't get this rented, I'm gonna go Section 8 they still never build up their reserves. So when all of a sudden the government says, hey, it's going to be three months till we get you, we'll back pay you, but it's going to be a couple of months for us to get you the money or you don't pass inspection. All of a sudden they're going, I don't have any money to hold this three months. So I think that, again, I think Section 8 is great, but you've got to have it in your business plan. And I sure. think you'll agree to have the reserves set up before so that if it does happen, you go, okay, I can weather six months of no money. I'm going to get it back. It's going to it's going to come to me. But we all know the government is not the fastest at processing, depending on the sure, county and stuff. Um, do, do you agree? I mean, it's, it, it works, but you've got to be set correctly. Yeah, yes, yes, in the sense that that is true. Uh, you're dealing with bureaucracy, and you know, which kind of moves at a glacial pace. But that's where, again, the business the business is that you develop relationships with people down at the housing authority. Right. Whereby, you know, if you run into situations like that, then you can have people on the inside who can kind of push things through. Joe, if someone decides this is the path they want to go down, how would someone start to be a Section Eight landlord? Well, there's no thing as called. There's no such thing as a Section Eight landlord. Well, I mean, how do, wow. how do they start? Out. <laughs> Boom! It's a landlord. Okay, yes. Joe, you are a landlord in my book, and you are a giant. <laughs> You're turning red as, as Felipe's uh, sheets behind him. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> okay, so how do do you find Section Eight tenants? if you want to start renting to them? So first of all, you have a house, okay? And I first of all start off in making sure I have a nice house, quality house, okay? Because I'm, a, I'm trying to attract a quality voucher holder or a quality tenant. So you start off with a product. You have a decent product in a decent area. That's number one. Number two is once that product is ready, you then advertise. And what I do, at least the housing authorities in this area and most other areas, they tend to have a, a websites or lists where they advise or recommend that their voucher holders go to to see what's out there. So you advertise your product in that list. Okay, does that make sense? Or on the website uh, where they recommend their voucher tenants go to. So you make sure you advertise there. And uh, I, on my adverts, describe the house. And on uh, somewhere in the advert, I say, Section 8, welcome. Section 8, welcome. Okay, yeah. and uh, because a lot of you know landlords are not welcoming of Section 8 voucher holders. And they'll come up with all kinds of excuses not to accept them. But I say welcome. And as a result of that, you tend to have a lot of applications. I, you know, The last house I had, I had, I think, uh, 12 applications for this one house. The one before that, I had 20 applications for this one house. So you can get a lot of people 
who are looking for quality housing, quality areas. And as a result of that, because you have a lot of applications, you can be very, very thorough on your selection criteria. Okay, You can be really, really thorough on your screening such that you can weed out the ones that's going to give you a hard time. You're going to give you, weed out the ones who's going to give you hell. You're going to weed out the ones that's going to make your life a misery. But you'll attract those people who are looking for an opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to live in a nice house in a nice area and rent from a, a great landlord. <laughs> and I'm t- it's, it's a win-win for them because they're in a great house in a great area. It's a win-win for me as, or you as a, as a landlord because you have a pleasant tenant who's looking for, uh, who's living in a nice house, they're going to take care of the house, they're going to pay the rent and so on. It, it's, again, that's, that's essentially what I do to attract these tenants who have a vouchers. Once you select that person, then that kicks off the process in terms of paperwork to the housing authority and so on. No, I definitely understand that. Great advice, guys. Um, and real quick, this question is actually for both of you guys. It seems like during these times, people take a hard look at their personal finances, where they're going to spend, where they're not going to spend. Any tips on managing money other than not just real estate debt, but just in personal finances? Do you guys have any advice on that? Steve, I'll let you take the reins. And then, Joe, if you don't mind chiming in. Yeah, I think that, you know, the the challenge with a lot of these things is when disasters happen or these perceived disasters, I'll say, happen, is we start doing these self-checks And we don't look at them until this happens. And so I think that's the problem. It's kind of like you don't realize you're fat until you step on the scale on December 31st and go, man, I didn't hit my goal. Well, if you did it every week and you checked and did your, you know, whether it was your your finances and you wanted to find out how your finances were doing or you wanted to find out how you were eating and you wanted to find out, you know, anything that was going on, if you did it constantly and it's, it's not a matter of these huge pivots, it's a matter of small corrections. It's like the compound effect. You just do small things and small corrections. And if you do that, you'll be much more successful. So I think that it's not something that you should do right now. I think it's something that you should do on a continual basis and always be monitoring to make sure that you're going towards your goal. And you got to make sure that, you know, again, I just say eye on the prize. And if you're, if you're not, it's kind of shame on you and you should start doing this. Sometimes this is the wake up call. Like if you have a friend that has a heart attack, now all of a sudden you're going to the doctor and you're doing this and you're doing that. Well, shouldn't you be doing that every day anyways and be monitoring and eating healthy? Steve, it's like people, it's like people who look at their W-2 or their tax return and say, where did all that money go? Exactly. And then they just let another year pass yeah. and the same thing next year. Yep, exactly. Joe, I would love to to hear your tips you have. I would look at your expenses. Uh, which where, which areas are the biggest expenses that you have, which typically go into housing and transportation. They're the biggest ones. And see if you can somehow reduce those. Yeah. Because you want to have cash reserves available. You want to be able to make sure that in the event of a downturn, you're able to survive and, you know, to track your expenses. Obviously, there's things that you can do to increase income and uh, look into those things. It could be a a side hustle. It could be, you know, investing more properties and things like that. But also, I think the important thing is to invest some time in your education. Okay, education in the sense that uh, being ready, being prepared, being in a position such that you can actually uh, take advantage of opportunities, which there will occur in the next, uh, you know, coming few months or, or, or whatever. Also, you probably need to. The other thing is that when the market does change, it is more difficult to get access to financing. So now is the time to prepare yourself to be in a good position to becoming bankable, which is things like looking at your credit, uh, making sure that you uh, understand what the, uh, the, the the financial people are looking for in terms of mortgages and making sure that you're in a good position such that you can actually get the financing that you need. When you need money, that's when people won't give it to you. 
when you don't need the money, that's when you should be getting it and getting prepared for it. So this is the, you know, this is the time before it gets worse or whatever. This is when you start taking stock. And again, it's, you know, the day to plant a tree is yesterday. The day you start shoring up your credit and you start getting things taken care of is today. And this is the time that you need to start looking at everything and saying, okay, like, like Joe said, how do I start cutting expenses? How do I start looking more tractable to banks? Right. And you start thinking of these things now so that you can be prepared. So you get the lines of credit so that you're ready to go. So that when you do see a deal that crosses your path, you're able to execute. You don't say, man, maybe now I should talk to a mortgage broker, see if I can get a loan, see if I can get the deal. That's probably too late or the banks won't loan to you. So the day you start, you know, you've got to do a personal check. You've got to check it and see, okay, how are my finances? What kind of health, do a health check on yourself, on your finances, Am I in, you know, does anybody at the bank want to date me or are they going to loan me any money? If the answer is no, it's like, okay, how do I become the person that will get money and how do I get credit so that I am ready to take action? Because I'm sure Joe will attest and a lot of people I know, they have access to a lot of money. They don't necessarily use it, but they're ready to use it when a deal comes because right now being a, what's called a contrarian investor, when everyone's running away, you're running in because you have the finances and you have the education, like Joe said, and you're ready to take action based on all the data. This is the time, but you've got to, this is part of a piece of the puzzle that you've got to be prepared for. Yeah, that's great, Steve. Absolutely. So Steve, Joe, real quick, any books or articles or other types of resources that you recommend for rookies who want to know more about how to do well during an investment cycle or during whatever cycle we're running into? I mean, what advice would you give to our rookies to how to start educating themselves in regards to that? Oh, boy. Yeah. You can um, plug in your own books too. <laughs> Steve's, I, I think I was yeah, going to say I'm looking forward to Steve's because... tab his book because I want to pick that up next. Okay. That's how Steve and I met was I read his book and I, I messaged him. What is it, Steve? <laughs> so this is, well, this is my book. This is, if you want to, it's called um, Building an Empire, Failing Our Way to Millions. To me, it, this is a book on learning how to make mistakes, but also how to scale and understand how to use leverage of systems, whether it's other people, virtual assistants, whatever it is. And it's, it's kind of my story of how I went through and how 9-11, a disaster, is what actually propelled me into real estate. And that's kind of my story. Great answer. Joe? Okay, uh, I think the book which I would recommend, a really good one, a really, really good one. It's called Recession Proof Real Estate Investing, uh, How to Survive and Thrive During any phase of the economic cycle. That's written by Jay Scott, and who's a Bigger Pockets host. And it's a very, very good book. It talks about in, in quite a bit of detail about each of the phases of the market cycle, what are the strategies that work, how you can position yourself for success, and leverage many of the experiences that other people have had. So that's, that's a book that's published by Bigger Pockets, and I've read it a couple of times, and that's a really good one. The other one is uh, probably. I'm sure other people have read that, which is The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. That's a good one as well. So uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't read your book yet, Steve, so I'm sure that's going to be uh, <laughs> on my list as well. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jay, Scott from the, Jay Scott from the book you mentioned, he will actually be on tomorrow's podcast uh, with David and Brandon uh, talking about the coronavirus and the real estate market. So that's the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. And Scott Trench will also be on there if anyone wants to tune in. Uh, tomorrow. But thank you guys very much for coming on the show today. I wrote a couple notes that I just want to summarize things for everyone. It's don't let fear deter you. It's okay to be afraid, but don't let that stop you from becoming a real estate investor. 
and don't over leverage. It's possible to do deals with no money down, but make sure you still have money and reserves because things will come up. Even if it's not a recession, it could be your roof blows off or I know Steve has experienced hurricanes <laughs> and then have a plan in place. You're treated, this is a business, treat it like a business. And Felipe and I have talked about partnerships on here and how when you structure a partnership, you know, you want to have everything in place, the the now, the what if, and the exit strategy, you know, treat your business like that too. If something happens, what are you going to do about it? And how will you react to that situation? And then focus on your strategy. Don't deter off because of what the media says or, you know, something you read online from another investor. Focus on your strategy and take the facts and statistics into consideration. And then the last thing was just educate yourself from the success and failures of others. Just take those as learning experiences. I I think it was Joe that said, don't reinvent the wheel, like learn from what other people have done. So I I just want to thank you guys so much. Uh, It has been very valuable talking with you guys. And I hope our listeners get a lot of value from it. And I'm sure that they will. My pleasure. Thank you. Can you guys let us know real quick too, where people can find out more about you? And if they can reach out to you, where would they find Um, you? They can find me on Instagram. It's uh, Rosenberg Steve. So it's R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G Steve. Uh, They can also go to uh, Facebook. They can find me there. And I've got a website, steverosenberg.com. So if they want to find me, if they want to talk about management, they can go to mind.co, M-Y-N-D.co. We're we're in about 16 regions. So if they want to talk about that and have strategies to, you know, further escalate their their portfolios, uh, you know, happy to just have a conversation and give them my thoughts as to what's best for them, whether it's in an area or not. It's good to have, it's good to bounce ideas off with someone who's done it. Cool. Uh, You can reach me a couple of ways. One is my website is Joe, J-O-E, Asamoah, A-S-A-M-O-A-H.com, joeasamoah.com. That's one way. The other way is uh, you can shoot me a message there. Uh, You can reach me by, uh, I have Instagram, Dr. Joe Asamoah, D-R Joe Asamoah. Also on Facebook, uh, Dr. Joe Asamoah, D-R Joe Asamoah. And uh, I've also written a few articles on Bigger Pockets. Uh, I do host uh, what, what we call the Wealth Wednesday uh, Facebook, Instagram Live. So you can check me out there um, every every Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I usually do a little uh, you know, live stream. So I look forward to anyone can check that out. And if you're in the D.C. area, let me know. I'd definitely like to uh, connect with you guys. And if I can be of assistance uh, with anybody, just I'm more than happy to do so. Gentlemen, thank you so thank much you for coming out. Much. We yeah. really appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there.
The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.